is Decoding Learning Differences with Kimberlyn Lavelle, and this episode is IEP Tips, Getting an IEP. This is a common question is figuring out how do I get an IEP for my child? Um, I see it a lot with, I just got a diagnosis for my child. How do I get them on an IEP? What are my next steps? Or I suspect something is wrong. What do I do now? So the really the, all you have to do to get things going is write it down, make a request, make it clear what you're requesting because they might just not understand and they might not give you what you're asking. Um, So sometimes, and sometimes they don't know. So you also wanna make sure everybody knows. Okay, so the really all you have to do is write it down in a letter I am requesting that my child be evaluated to determine if they qualify for an individualized education plan program. So you're writing this out. You are writing it not, sometimes people just send it to the the teacher because that's their contact person at the school, right? The gen ed teacher. Well, the gen ed teacher like sees it and it's like, oh, okay. And they set it aside. I'm going to talk to this psychologist about that. They think this in their head. They set it aside and then a week goes by and two weeks goes by and then they're like, oh, I keep forgetting. Okay. And then they finally go and talk to the school psychologist and now it's been three weeks and they're out of compliance. They don't know what the law is. Most of the time, no one has told the gen ed teacher what they need to do with that request. Um, They kind of know like, oh, I should talk to somebody about it, but it's not their number one priority. Each day, their number one priority is making sure everyone's assignments are done, figuring out the lesson plan for the next day, and figuring out, you know, and all the little things. You know, somebody's going to the bathroom, and where did they go? And, oh, they need to blow their nose, and we need more pencils, and, what you know, all the things. So even though it's your number one priority, and it is critical for your child's education, it's not the gen ed teacher's priority, and they don't necessarily know what to do with that request, so it, it gets put on a back burner to be dealt with later, and forgotten about. Not every single time. Your gen ed teacher might very well know exactly what to do, but just to be safe, don't just give it to one person. What you want to do, I would email it so you have a timestamp on when it was sent and who received it. You can also, if your email allows it, um, request read receipts so you know this person saw it at this date on this time. It, it you know, It's a really good way to do it. You can also do this all physically, but it's just a little bit more complicated because what I'm saying is send it to lots of people. You want to send it to the gen ed teacher? Sure. They might as well be in the loop, but they are not the ones who really initiate a lot of this usually. So also send it to the school psychologist, if you know who they are, the administrator, assistant principal, principal, send it to both because sometimes one of them does it more than the other. Send it to both or whoever, whatever other administrators you have that might be in charge of something. Um, you know, the dean, the whatever, like just anybody above the teachers, go ahead and loop them in. Because the more people who see it, the more chance you are that one of them knows the law and is gonna do something with this information. The school psychologist, like I said, a special ed director, if you know who they are, you could even send it to the superintendent. And I'm gonna tell you, even the superintendent sometimes does not know the special ed law about what they're supposed to do with that information. Usually the person who does know for sure 
is a special ed director. Most of the time, the special ed teacher and the school psychologist, um, the speech therapist. You could even loop the speech therapist in just to loop them in, even if you have no, <laughs> no worries about speech. If you have their email address um, or you can find it, a lot of times they're all listed online. So you can find it or you can go up to the secretary at the front desk. What's the email address for this person and this person and this person? Get them all and compose your email. Send it to all those people. Turn on those read receipts if you have that ability. And that starts your timeline of you've made the written request. Now, in most places, if you've written a request, they have to do something. I should say most places in the United States. I'm not talking about anything outside of the United States. I don't even know all the laws. I know there's similar things, but I'm not even going to begin. Because <laughs> in the United States, there's 50 different states with the, their laws plus the federal laws, so it gets complicated enough. Um, so for the most part, you have they have 15 days, so about two weeks, that they have to respond to you with either a prior written notice saying, nope, we're not going to assess, or it could be a prior written notice saying, yes, we are assessing, attached to an assessment plan saying, here's the assessment, sign it. Now, sometimes they want to meet with you to discuss what it is, to get more information, and to try to talk you out of actually going for the assessment, which is fine, but sometimes they think that that counts as responding within 15 days. They still have to come up with one of those two answers within those 15 days. Yes or no has to happen within 15 days. They might not know that. You might need to help them know that. Um, in your letter somewhere, you want to say, I request my child be evaluated to determine eligibility for an IEP and or 504 plan. So you are making it extremely clear. I am requesting an evaluation for this. Now, um, I have this the 504 plan in there as just if you're not actually looking for an IEP, you just want some kind of help and you're not sure if it's an IEP or 504, I would always just say, I would probably just leave it at IEP because if your child doesn't qualify but they've got some issues, a lot of times they'll just offer a 504 instead. So you can you can include it, but I wouldn't necessarily. Um, you Make sure you include all of your areas of concern and ideally you wanna use the phrase suspected disability. I'm not gonna list all 13 qualifying disabilities right here. The ones that you most likely are looking at if you're listening to this podcast is specific learning disability. That's where dyslexia is gonna fall in or dyscalculia or dysgraphia, any of those, it's gonna fall under specific learning disability in most places. So you can just say specific learning disability. You can also say dyslexia as like a separate one just to throw it out there, but that's one of the like qualifying 13 qualifying disabilities. Um, you might also be looking at an other health impairment. ADHD falls under other health impairment. Um, there's also other health impairments that fall under that category, but that's a qualifying disability, one of the 13 categories. And another one that's very common that you might be looking at is a speech and language impairment. A lot of kids with dyslexia have a speech and language impairment. A lot of people with the auditory processing disorder also have a speech and language impairment. So you might, even if you don't suspect it, if you have worries about anything 
auditory, anything dyslexia related, you might want to just add that in there. Get the assessment done because if there is an issue, the sooner that gets found and addressed, the faster they're going to make progress in everything else. So I always include that if I have worries about it at all. Um, not that the speech therapist will like me saying that, but... <laughs> Um, so we've talked before about an individualized education plan program versus a section 504 plan. And that should actually say individualized education program. Um, but section 504 plan, they're two separate things in general. One gives you accommodations only one gives you accommodations and services. There are some exceptions and intricacies and everyone does it a little bit differently but I'm also gonna go into that more in another video, so watch for that. Useful terms to know. Um, you definitely want to know those some of those things that I already threw in there with you're requesting an evaluation to determine eligibility for an individualized education program, or you can just say IEP. IEP is one that in the education world is so, at least in the United States, is so universal that there's not really confusion about, well, which IEP did you mean? Did you mean it, it, it's an IEP? Um, so you can just say that. You don't have to like spell it all out. Although I usually do just for clarity's sake and because I was kind of trained that always, always say what, what the, um, what it means, what it's, what those letters are standing for before assuming that everybody's on the same page with what it means. Um, you also want to know the, those specific, the suspected disability, like I said, and you can look up what are the 13 qualifying disabilities for an IEP, list them all out and it'll show you. Other health impairment, that will connect with ADHD if that's a suspected disability. Uh, speech and language impairment, which is not just how they're speaking, but how are they receiving information? If someone is speaking to them, can they understand the language that is being spoken to them? Can they produce complete sentences? There's a lot to it, their vocabulary. There's a lot to speech and language impairment that you might not think about, which is why if you have any worries about dyslexia or auditory processing, I would also throw in speech language impairment as a concern because there's a lot of correlation there. And then specific learning disability, which is all of your dyslexia, dyscalculia, all the processing disorders, all of that's gonna fall under that umbrella even if your school thinks that they're not supposed to use the word dyslexia or dyscalculia, like they can say that they aren't allowed to use it. It doesn't really matter for your sake, even if they're wrong. <laughs> it's so those are some of those useful terms that you want to know for this step. Um, and then prior written notice is another one that you want to know that they, they need to know that you're expecting a prior written notice and an assessment plan within those 15 days. In your letter, it is optional, but I would encourage you to include any family history of any of the issues that you're suspecting your child has, because there's a lot of familial correlation. So if mom and dad both have dyslexia, then yeah, there's a very high probability that the child will also have dyslexia. So that increases your kind of your weight in like, no, we need to assess. There's an issue. 
Um, even like uncle, great uncle has ADHD. Fine. Throw it in there. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt to show any amount of family correlation to the concern you have for your child. Um, you can give examples of concerns, you know, for example, yesterday my child was reading and said pack when the word was cap. They're, you know, reversing the sounds there or whatever. Just give those kinds of examples of what's happening. It helps them get a visual of what's going on, what might really be happening, especially if you haven't listed like all the different processing disorders you want them testing for. It can kind of give them a clue like, oh, that sounds like it might be an auditory processing or a visual processing. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely look at that. And then any medical diagnoses. So this, I mean, asthma, allergies, um, things that happened when they were brand new babies that might have impacted their development, um, in utero stuff, anything that might have happened. It all impacts their development and it's all going to kind of weigh into should we evaluate this child or not. For the most part, the more types of information you give, more reasoning you give, the less likely they're ever going to say no because they then have to be able to defend a no, we're not going to assess, if you were to take them to due process. They have to be able to stand up there and say, no, we said no because. And if you've got all these reasons why your child should be assessed, it's not going to hold weight. Like they're not, they're not going to win that battle. So they just won't even have that battle. They know that the person who's writing the prior written notice will know this and will just be like, yep, let's just assess. Most of the time, even if you don't have all of this, they'll just assess because there's some reason you wrote the letter. It's always, there's always going to be like, yeah, no. Okay. Let, let's assess. They'll try to talk you out of it. Um, sometimes if they really don't think so, and they'll want you, they'll try to get you to rescind your request rather than just straight up saying no. <laughs> okay, so like I've talked about that 15 day timeline, some of these timelines are state by state timelines. Sometimes things are federal, but so check your state and what the timelines are in your state. For the most part, once you've written that letter, they have 15 days to respond. Um, and this is all true in California, by the way. Because that's where I am and that's where I'm the laws that I'm most familiar with. Um, I know a lot of states are very similar and have the same laws. Um, but there are things where like the federal will say this unless specified by the state. And then the, so there is some variation in the states. So check your state laws. Um, you can check with an advocate in your area if you want. But you can also just look it up online really easily. Just, you know, Michigan State Special Education Laws. So 15 days for them to, from when you send them the letter to when they need to have responded with either a prior written notice saying no or an assessment plan and they're supposed to attach a prior written notice saying yes. Um, and here's what, you know, here, assess. Let, let, let us assess. Then once you've signed, so you want to sign as fast as you can, fill out all the paperwork as fast as you can. You can even sign and then send out whatever other forms they give you. You can sit bring those back later. The thing they, the thing that starts their 60 days is actually just the assessment plan. Um, they'll want you to bring everything at once because it allows them to be more comprehensive and not be waiting on anything from you. So you definitely want those done as soon as possible, but to start your 60 days, you could always sign it and then come back the next day with all the other paperwork. So your 60 day timeline, they have 60 days from when 
you sign it until when they have to have assessed and met to tell you whether or not your child qualifies. They then have 30 days to develop an IEP. In most places, in most cases that I've seen, at that initial 60 days, yes, your child qualifies, here's an IEP. They don't usually say, yes, your child qualifies, do you want us to develop an IEP? Okay, we're gonna develop an IEP, we'll meet in 30 days. There's, it's usually just all in one at that 60 day timeline um, for a variety of reasons, but they, they might separate it out and that's within their legal rights um, options. <laughs> So the big takeaway today is ask for what your child needs. You know best, you know your child, you know what they need. If your child is struggling, write a request to evaluate your child for an IEP. Include, send it to everyone that might be involved. Turn on read receipts in that email. If you're sending an email to everyone, turn on read receipts if you can do that. And then expect an answer within 15 days. If it's getting close to the 15 days and you haven't heard anything, send a follow-up. Like within a week, I would send a follow-up. If I haven't heard anything, I would send a follow-up within a week. Hey, just want to make sure you got my letter. I'm seeing that you read it on this date. <laughs> Sometimes I can be a little... Um, so send it to everyone. Include all of the information, all of your concerns, all the suspect, all of the areas where you're suspecting a disability, and then just stay with it, follow up on it. Remember that it is not, if they're not doing what they're supposed to do legally, it's usually not malicious. It's not because they're trying to pull one over on you. They're usually just ignorant. And unfortunately, part of your job might have to be educating the people who are supposed to know those laws. <laughs> They get so busy and they just don't, it's funny. I, I don't know why it's not a priority that they all know all of these things, but you might have to educate them and let them know, hey, you're supposed to have an answer for me by this day. Can we do that? Um, so assume the best in them, but also hold them accountable and <laughs> make sure your child gets what they need. If you have any questions, concerns, worries, anything you want me to look at, um, you can email me, Kimberlyn at decodinglearningdifferences.com. I would love to hear from you. I'd also love stories. If you want to send me stories about the drama of getting your child an IEP or how easy and how great it was, I love to hear all of it. Good, bad, otherwise. Again, Kimberlyn at decodinglearningdifferences.com. I cannot wait to hear from you and I'll see you again next week.